0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 14. If you have uh, your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, if you don't, there's a Bibles under some of the chairs. It'll also be on the screen behind me here. Revelation 5, 9 through 14. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard, around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, To the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is God's word. Be seated. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Charles and Dale. Um, I just want to say real quick before we get into the, the text this morning, uh, it is Valentine's and uh, I, I hope everyone in here either is or will be uh, blessed enough. I, this is my 21st year having my Valentine, uh, Megan, back on the hiding back in the back row back there. 21 years she's been my Valentine. Isn't that Awesome. Uh, she is amazing, and I'm very thankful for that. But I just just want to take a just like a lot of holidays, there's a lot of mixture of emotions about Valentine's Day. Uh, if you're in here and you are like have like love in your eyes and you turn to the person beside you or uh, your significant other, your spouse, and there's just like hearts popping up each other's eyes, and it's just like, you, you just like you can't even imagine, like you don't even remember ever fighting this. It's like, ever been like so, like just in that perfect moment with the, with the one you love, and you can't even hardly remember fighting, like what would we ever fight about? I don't even know. Or like, sort of like that feeling that you get when you look at your kid, and you're like, they're super cute, and you're like, when could I ever be irritated with this child? And then five minutes later, they're jumping off the sofa, and you're like, ah, I remember now. But not all of us are in that moment with our spouse or with our significant other. Sometimes, uh, some of us, that we're in a relationship and things aren't great, things are rocky. Some of us, we wish we were in a relationship and we're not. And I just wanna say to you this morning, I'm not gonna say something stupid like let Jesus be your Valentine. If you say that to each other, that's fine, but I'm not gonna say something stupid like that. I just just want you to know that God has not forgotten you wherever you are. And if you're in a relationship where things are rocky or if you wish that you're in a relationship, I just want, it it may sound empty and hollow this morning, but I just wanna be the one to say on this Valentine's morning, You may have a a mixture of of thoughts and emotions that God has not forgotten you, that he has you right in the palm of his hands and he does love you and he has a plan for you. And I don't know what that will be. I can't promise you that you're gonna... Meet the person of the love of your life tomorrow, and then everything's going to be hearts and glitters and unicorns after that. Like you're going to ride off in the sunset on a, on a unicorn with wings. What is that? A pegasus? You're going to ride off into the, the sunset with a pegasus or fly off into the sunset, but I can tell you that he is enough for you wherever you are. And I've been around long enough to see him redeem relationships that look like they were over. So there's always hope. I just want to offer that to you guys this morning. Let's pray. Let's get rolling. Father, I pray for us this morning that you would speak to us as we take this uh, pause from our Exodus series to think about uh, how you've called us to be a church, uh, not just this church, but you've called your church to be a church that is uh, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational, that does not just fit just one mold of the comfortable people that we are comfortable being around. You've called us to a be a body of people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. And I pray that you would do that here. I pray you would speak to us in our, each of us where we are in our walk, in our life this morning. We come in here, some of us joyous, some of us downcast, some of us are struck, excuse me, struggling, some of us are hurting. I pray you would meet us right where we are, that you would speak to us. Even if it's, <laughs> I don't want people to think about other stuff that I'm talking about, but even if it's something you need to meet them, something other than what we we're talking about this morning, I pray you would speak to each person. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Getting a sneak peek into something greater is intoxicating. Uh, I remember I was in the fifth grade, and uh, I grew up in an elementary school of about 600 students, and they would lead us past our classroom in the line to go to the, the restroom break, and then we would go to that awesome lunch line. Or we would line up for that pizza that they made up in the, the soggy pizza they made in the big giant sheets. Anybody remember that? And the crinkle fries. Or uh, on Fridays, it was at where I grew up. It was it was uh, that was fried chicken and rice and gravy day. So that was the day I was like, yes, this is going to be good. But uh, on the way, we would pass a secret door to an inner chamber, the teachers' lounge. I never knew what went on in there, but I knew it was something special, some place that I was not allowed to go. The teachers would retreat there as much as they could, as fast as they could, and they would emerge smiling. I think it was because they got away from the kids, but they would emerge smiling. And almost as you, as you see the door open and close, it's almost like there was an inner glow inside there. I just knew, like, that's a place. Like, I, I wish I could go in there. And one one day, we, my teacher in the fifth grade took us on a uh, an outing, took us on a field trip after school. And so just on the way, she took us to get a snack for, out of the vending machines in the teacher's lounge. I remember walking into that room, and it was almost like there were just like angels singing from some close in the corners, like, oh, the secret place that I got to finally go in and see. And I think now if I saw it, I'm like, oh, wow, this is just like a room with vending machines and a couple of tables. But to me, it was like, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm here. It's sort of like the feeling that I get now as an adult when I'm traveling and you're walking through the airport and you see like the special lounges, you know, like the special, like the captain's club lounges. And you know, like, I'm not allowed there. You see like, like cool, important looking people going in and out and like, Ooh. Would somebody, please let me go in there. What is happening in there that is so special that I can't go in and see? And when we get a glimpse of something like greater, it's intoxicating. I remember there was one when I was flying one time, transatlantic. Uh, I was 19 years old, and we uh, missed our flight. We were going on a mission trip, actually. We missed our flight, and we, uh, we had to make this next flight. If we were going to make the rest of the chain of flights, and that could be a whole other, well, not a sermon, but just a stand-up comedy routine about my, trip to, my first trip to India. But we had to make this one last flight to, to make all the rest of our flights from New York to Heathrow in London. And uh, we were waiting, and we, we didn't think we were going to make it. Uh, there were 16 of us, and one by one, they finally fit us on, fit us on, fit us on, and there were five of us left, and the plane was literally getting ready to take off, and finally, they came in and said, we have seats for you, and they brought us in, and instead of taking us, like, into that walk of shame where you're, like, walking past all the important people in first class as you're on your way back to, to coach, unless you're one of those people that are sitting there, like, staring at me as I walk past, like, oh, I'm better than you are, but it... Instead of being oh, going past all those people, I got sat down in first class. And they come, and let me tell you, it is as great as you imagined it being. I sat there for half the flight. It was a five and a half hour flight. Half the flight expecting for then somebody to come to me and finally say, oh, excuse me, sir, but... You- I think we all know you don't belong here. We're taking you back to coach, but they never came and got me. There was, at that time, this was incredible. they had free movies and games. They came through and offered offered us warm towelettes to wipe ourselves with. There were warm nuts. They came through offering champagne. You had a menu that you could choose what you wanted to eat from. And it was actually things that were edible. It was, was, there was leg room. I'd never have leg room on a flight. It was amazing. But you know what that did for me? Every single flight I've taken since then has just been terrible. (laughs) Because as I walk past those chairs, I know what it's like. It is way better than where I'm going back in the back. When you get a taste, when you get to see something greater, it's intoxicating. And that's what reading Revelation 5 is like. We get a picture, an intoxicating picture of what things are supposed to be like and what they will be like. When this world and all its sin and all its death and all of its sadness and all of it, because listen, life is hard. Let's just acknowledge that. All of that is gone and wiped away. And we are reunited with the one for whom we're created and by whom we're created. It is pure bliss. It is a beautiful picture They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. In our world that's full of division and brokenness, when Neighbor, distrust neighbor, even no matter where you live, you have to, I grew up like we, whether we locked our doors or not wasn't a big deal. No matter where you live, you got to lock your doors. That's just from neighbor to neighbor, much less people across different nations and tribes and languages. There's a natural distrust between people who aren't like us. It can be color of skin. It can be age, the young to old and old to young. It can be different tribes and nations and tongues. We look at each other. We don't trust each other. We are separated. But in heaven, we see everyone together, every tribe, language, tongue, and nation together lifting up a song to the Lamb. We're gonna be looking at that new song this morning. There's going to be four things we're going to talk about. What is the new song that they're singing? What is obstructing us or keeping us from singing that song? Three, what is the power to break through? And four, what are our next steps? What is the new song? What is obstructing us? What is the power to break through? And then we're going to talk about what are our next steps, Here in heaven, the people of God are singing. First of all, what is the new song that they're singing? They're gathered together, the people of God, and they're singing a new song. Why is it new? Because today we are divided. I don't know if you watched the the, the debate last night or the Democratic debate earlier this week. We are a divided people, and that's just America. Across the world, there are wars and battles and skirmishes the young don't trust the old and the old don't trust the young. White don't trust black, black don't trust white. Immigrants don't trust uh, the ones who are born here, the born, people who are born here don't trust the immigrants. Across the board, there's a distrust and a division upon between all of us and that's why it's a new song in heaven. It's a new song because it's a song of unity and harmony. Everybody from every tribe, language, and tongue, and nation singing together, singing worthy are you. They're singing about the the, the lamb, that's Jesus Christ. Worthy are you to take the scroll because, why is he worthy? Because he was slain and he ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation Jesus' worth, his value, his glory, the reason that he is worthy to be, one of the reasons he's worthy to be praised and lifted up is because he has purchased for himself a people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation, and he's the only one that can bring us together so that we sing the same song. I think this is interesting, and it doesn't say this, so I don't want to read into the text too much, but it says that you, have res- that you had rescued a people from every tribe and language and people and nation, and yet they're singing a song together. I don't know how that works in heaven. I don't know if they're singing like some heavenly language together, or maybe in some amazing, miraculous way, they're all in heaven singing in their native tongue, but yet somehow it's in unity if you've ever been to Atlanta or New York and you sat on the subway and you felt uncomfortable, you're likely to feel uncomfortable in heaven because we're gonna be surrounded by every tribe and nation and tongue and language. And all the things that make us unique will not be forgotten there. They'll be magnified there, but in unity together, in harmony Isn't that beautiful? It it might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but it's a beautiful thing. Wouldn't you like to be able to step on the subway or be around somebody who is different than you, has a different skin color or uh, eats different things than you? I've been to India. It smells different there. Some of it is bad smell, but some of the things are just different smells than we have here. Spices that are in the air that to me are like, wow, that's different and weird. I wish it didn't feel weird. And we could come together, and even though we are different, yet celebrate that diversity together in harmony. Jesus' worth and his value is directly tied to the fact that he has ransomed a people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language. Look at that word ransomed. He rescued us by purchasing a people people who were enslaved to sin and death, who were under the wrath of God, yet he ransomed us. He paid a price with his own life to buy us together. And by the way, and we're gonna get to this in the future, but if you are a believer in Christ today, you have been ransomed by his blood just as anybody else has been ransomed by his blood. That's the only pathway in to the kingdom. Not only is that the only pathway in, but the, the truth, the beautiful picture is that's the only way that we all come in. From every tribe and language and people and nation. This intentionally hits every color, every shade of the human rainbow. He's pulling out these descriptions to show us that he is determined, God has designed salvation in such a way that he would. Capture for himself, he would ransom and save from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation, every sort of alteration, every sort of different ways that people look and act and think and Cook And whether you put, again, sauerkraut on your hot dog or you are one of God's chosen people and you put chili and coleslaw on your hot dog, or whether you eat bagels or you eat Krispy Kreme donuts, whether you're a Dunkin' guy or a Krispy Kreme guy, no matter what part of the country that you are from, how you are put together, he is bringing us all together in one from every part of the rainbow of humanity together to glorify himself with a singing and a diversified people. Part of the reason that Jesus is worthy of authority and worship and honor is that he has purchased for a a people, for the Father, from every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue, every generation, for himself. Radical, racial, cultural, generational, and ethnic diversity. Let me say that again. Radical, racial, cultural, generational, and ethnic diversity, And harmony is the first chord of the worship that's due to God. That's why it's a new song that's being sung in heaven. That's the first chord that is struck on our instrument of praise to God as a church. So if that's true, then we need to stop right here at this moment and say, then we need to reverse engineer our church and our lives backwards from the scene of heaven that we see to today to make sure that we're working towards that. You guys know what reverse engineering is? It's where you start with an ending. You say, this is what we want things to look like. And then you work your way back from that to make sure you have all the steps in order to get there. What's the new song? It's a song saying that he is worthy because he has purchased a people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. And that should be our song. Or should it be our song as a church or should It should be our song individually. But then what's obstructing us? What's keeping us? Martin Luther King Jr. wrote the letter from a Birmingham jail in April of 1963. It's one of the greatest pieces of American literature in all of history. If you've never read it, you absolutely should read it. That August, he led the March on Washington, which was a seminal moment in U.S. history. At that march, he declared that he had a dream. It was a captivating picture of what the future of America could and should look like. We all know the dream, right? Where we'd be be together, black children, white children, every color, not judged by the color of our skin, but the content of our character. It was a picture that was beautiful and captivating. I was born in... South Carolina, here actually in Horry County in 1977. So 14 years later. When I was growing up, Martin Luther King Jr. Day was not a state holiday. It wasn't a state holiday until the year, and this is is infuriating to me, uh, to the year 2000. It was not an official state holiday. Up until that point, 2000, State employees in the state of South Carolina had the option to either take off Martin Luther King Jr. Day or pick one of three Confederate holidays. I'm going to say that again. Up until the year 2000, state employees had the option to take Martin Luther King Jr. Day or pick one of three Confederate holidays to take off. This is our history and our legacy. No matter whether you're from here or not, this is. What we have come into together. I heard. I think I heard the N word at every family gathering that I went to as a child. Sorry, I was just remembering. That surprised me. Just remember some stories. I was a kid, but I remember I grew up outside Conway. Uh, there was a, a boycott of the Conway High, by the Conway High School football team by those who were African-American and made national news. That's not very long ago. Martin Luther King had a dream But it wasn't realized. It still isn't fully realized by any stretch of the imagination. Martin Luther King derived the the heart of his dream from the heart of God himself. We see it here in Revelation 5. If the church is the breaking in, which it is, the church is the breaking in of God's kingdom on earth, it's an embassy. Of the kingdom that is to come here in the middle of darkness. In, in the midst of enemy territory, is a, it should be a shining city on a hill of what heaven is going to be like. Revelation 5, 9 through 14 should be reflected in us, in our hearts and in our gatherings together. But do we see that at work? It should be a picture of the peace and justice in the world. The church produced Martin Luther King in his dream. Even as much of the white church was hesitant at best and militaristically opposed at worst during his lifetime. Growing up, the churches that I attended were majority white uh, but they weren 't all whites. this is sort of new territory for me being a part of a church like this. We began a, attending a church in Conway when I was about twelve that uh, it wasn 't eighty twenty, but it was pretty close to uh, to matching our population we 're about eighty uh, percent white in Horry County and about fifteen percent black, two and a half percent Hispanic now It was pretty close to those to those numbers um, and That began uh, interestingly enough as our pastor 's name was Philip miles he 's still pastors at Christ Community Church in Conway. uh, as He he was convicted by the segregation of the church in Horry County. And he began by going out on Saturdays into a predominantly African-American section of town and knocking door to door, introducing himself and starting to build a bridge for that community. Dr. King said that the 11 o'clock hour was the most segregated in America. Unfortunately, that may still be so. Only about 17% of churches in America are multi ethnic, multicultural. But we're not just segregated by color, we're segregated by worship style, we're segregated by theological points, we're segregated by age around. We're a mostly very young church. I think we only have, I could be wrong, we have less than 10 people who are members of our congregation who are over the age of 50. We're segregated by class and wealth, not just our church, across the board. We know the church, right? That church is the black church. That that church is the wealthy black church. That church is the wealthy white church. That's where the doctors and lawyers go. This is where the poor people, we we know it, right? This is the church that likes that kind of worship. This is the the church that likes this kind of preaching. The church is often battered and bruised, but it's often by self-inflicted wounds when we should be the Revelation 5, 9 through 14 church. We often look like something very different. Yet, when we see Revelation 5, we see the church in its resplendent glory, when she is united with her Savior, with her King, with her Redeemer and Lord who died in order to ransom, in order to, in order to ransom a people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation, from every generation and age group, from every corner of the rainbow of humanity, he died to ransom them. And when we see her in that glory, we see a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-faceted people who are, live in harmony to the glory of God. The early church was marked by this kind of diversity. In many ways, the early church was the, the first organization of its kind, We really don't have record of any organization, any group of people before the Acts 2 church where Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, slave and free, rich and poor, not only would be around each other, but shared life together where the rich would come in and didn't need their trappings of their wealth in order to feel good about themselves. They humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God and sat with and shared life with, shared a cup and a loaf of bread, not just in a symbolic way, but in a very real way with a person who they may have owned that person. Free and slave, rich and poor. Jew and Gentile, natural enemies, yet somehow the division broken down between them. It wasn't always easy, but they did live and worship together. That we see, is the fact that this should be comforting to us, that it, it wasn't always smooth and easy. The first controversy we see in the church is in uh, early in Acts when the Hellenistic Jews felt that their widows weren't getting cared for and they went and complained. So they're saying, hey, this, people are, are not caring for us because we don't share the same ethnicity that you share. And the church made sure that we're going to make sure that everybody gets served and cared for. What are the, our obstructions now? Well, there's some personal obstructions. Some of this deal with a superiority complex. That's really tied to the fact that before Christ, uh, we have to find some way to have an identity, uh, with, and so we build our a sense of superiority to people who are not like us in order to feel better about ourselves. I'm more educated. I'm wealthier. This—it's not things that we say. We don't put them on T-shirts, right? Like it's very clear. Oftentimes, the overarching theme of the neighborhoods that we live in or the or the businesses that we are part of, the people that we run with, but we don't label it. It's just somewhere in the ethereal air around us. A superiority complex. Some of us have an inferiority complex. We feel that we're not equal to anybody around us. And so that keeps us separated from other people. People who we might view as better looking or smarter or wealthier than we are. Some of our personal obstructions is that we don't know how to relate, right? I don't know how to talk to somebody who's whatever. They could be older. They could be younger. They could have a different color skin. They could eat different kinds of food than you eat. They live in a different area of town. I don't know how to relate to them. So we just sort of, we sort of stay in our own lane. And perhaps, perhaps the worst is indifference. I just don't care. If I'm honest enough, I just don't care enough to make any steps. Some of us, it's personal obstructions, but there also are systemic obstructions. This is not something we have time to talk about this morning, but you can talk about it in your community groups. You can talk about it with people who, uh, uh, friends of yours that uh, maybe don't share the same uh, color skin, particularly, I think this has to do with ethnicity. But there are certain societal, systemic obstructions in society that people who are of certain ages, certain colors of skin, have to deal with. That if you aren't those ages and you don't have that color skin, you don't know how to deal. With, you don't have to deal with, and you really can't relate to. But I think those are things that we need to think about, and read about, and talk about with people who are not like us, so that we can understand what it's like. But there are certain systemic obstructions in church that keep us from being this Revelation 9, 5, 5, 9 through 14 church. It's not just uh, we want to, like, hey, we'll welcome all kinds. Well, we'll welcome anybody. But if we have certain sort of underlying things that are never said that, that people would come in and not pick and pick up on, they don't see leaders who, look like them, or a worship style they don't relate to. There's some controversy on this subject, but I do think it's important. Like when we say, hey, we welcome all kinds, but we say we welcome all kinds as long as you like the music that we're already playing and you like the way that we already do things. Instead of saying, hey, if we're going to reach everyone, regardless of their age or the color of their skin or their background or how much money they have in their pocket, a lot or a little bit, if we're going to reach every single person across all those lines, then we need to be willing to be humble in our worship style. Another systemic obstruction is a willingness to be divided in the name of diversity. Now, harkens back to the point I just made earlier about we all know that kind of church, right? That's the black church, and that's the white church, and that's the Latino church. And, you know, we don't really speak that language. We don't understand them. So they have their lane, and we have our lane. And so we say, hey, overall, the church is a diversified church. But if it never represents, if we don't see it in our midst, how unified is it really? Now, those are the obstructions. some of them. There's more. So where's the power to break through? Where's the power to break through? First of all, the power to break through is the unique power of the gospel because the unique power of the gospel is only the gospel, the good news that we were all sinners. We were all under the wrath of God. We were all separated from God. We are all sinners. Every single person, no matter whether you're rich or poor, you grew up in church or you did not grow up in church, we are all in the same boat together. And that news, because that, the gospel is two sides. First of all, it says you're far worse off than you ever thought you were. But on the other side, it says in Christ, you're far more loved than you ever dared to dream. And it's only that dual power of, that, of the gospel, the, both messages, both sides of that coin, that it both, it humbles us and it elevates us. Those of us who thought we we're superior, it brings us down, it says no. Whether you grew up in church, you might've been religious or you're far from God, you're irreligious. Whether you're rich or you have your stuff together or you're kind of a mess, it says, no, we're all in the same field together. It levels the playing field for all of us. But then the other side, that the fact that you're far more loved than you ever dared to dream, it elevates us to the same place. Those who are lowly, who are the seemingly on the bottom of society. It pulls them up and says, you have value that Christ has put upon you by his death on your behalf. Both of those sides are needed in order for us to, to be humbled and to be empowered. Martin Luther King Jr., his dream is directly connected to that goal of the gospel, to bring us all on the same level. Remember what he said? That it, we wouldn't be judged by any longer by the color of our skin, would put us on the same level playing field, that's the only thing that puts us on the same playing field, is the power of the gospel. It brings us low, but it also elevates us. The unique power of the gospel for us to break through those divisions, the obstructions, is remembering and understanding that we were all the other. We were all the strangers. Who's the other to you? Who's different than you? Who are, like, that's the other people. We all have those secret other people. We wouldn't, it's not polite to say in polite company, but the people who are other than us. But apart from the gospel, we were all strangers from God and from each other. The power of the gospel brings us, unites us to God and unites us to each other. It brings us on the same level playing field. That's the message of the gospel, the power. But then secondly, the power to break through the obstructions is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God's love has been spread abroad in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5. We need a miracle in our hearts in order to unite us in love to each other across their differences and divisions. And that's what happens when we are born again. That's the good news of the gospel that we were not and we are not left to ourselves. There's a church that I know about in Memphis, which is many people consider maybe the most racially divided major city in the United States of America. Of course, that's where... MLK was assassinated. And I know this team of people that came in to plant a church in Memphis from the very beginning to say, let's not only proclaim the gospel with our words, but let's demonstrate the gospel, and let's be a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that reaches the city of Memphis. So they look in and they see the gospel demonstrated. I heard a story about the one of the teaching pastors. He was an African-American guy, and he was... Uh, preaching one Sunday because God had answered that, answered that dream of theirs. They had planted a church and there were people from across the age range and across different colors, all, all mixed together in community. And he said that he finished preaching one day and he, I'm trying not to get emotional again, he stepped down from the stage and he saw this lady, she was making a beeline to him from the back. She was an African-American lady. She, she was dressed for church. You know what I'm talking about. Had the big hat, to the T, had the shoes on. She came up to them, and he said, "You could, you could see she was her, just her, her whole body language spoke dignity." She came up and she told him that she had been in service growing up. That was her career. She was the help to white families in Memphis. She had seen segregation. She had seen, she had been in Memphis when MLK was assassinated. She saw the riots. She saw curfew imposed on that part of town. She came up to Brian Lawrence, who was the teaching pastor, and said, I've been praying for this day. 92 years old, came up and said, I've been praying for this day. See, black and white, rich and poor, old and young together, worshiping together. She said, you are the answer to my prayers. God has answered my prayers through you. I wonder if we can make that our goal as a church. To so reflect Revelation 5, 9 through 14 for the power of the gospel and God's love should abroad in our hearts that we would reflect that. We would have our own stories of people who were blown away as they come in and see Rich and poor, old and young, black, white, and every other shade. Every background, worshiping together, sharing life deeply together. Real quick, these are our next steps. I want you guys to think about these and talk about them in your community groups. I'm going to kind of roll through them because I think it's um, things that we need to ask personally and have conversations about. (laughs) Excuse me. Uh, First of all, what are our next steps? Number one, we must make this our goal. Simple. Let's make this our goal as a church. Let's make this our goal individually. Just as it is Jesus' goal, we see it is his goal. That's why one of the reasons he ransomed a people. He was slain to ransom us from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. Number two, we must do the hard work of facing our own hearts and asking the difficult question, who is the other to me? Who is my other? Who is it that I feel separated from and I'm either indifferent towards or uh, filled with uncomfortability with or even an amount of hate or distrust with? It may not be ethnic, ethnic, by the way. It could be cultural. It could be monetary. It could be generational. Who is your other? Number three, we must take intentional and uncomfortable steps to those who are not like us. Those are, doesn't mean like just asking the question, hey, do you, have a, do you have any friends that don't look like you? Who don't act like you? Who don't share your same profession? Who aren't in your lane? Then, as a church, we have to, we're going to have to take, uh, number four, as a church, we must not only be welcoming to all people, but we must make steps toward them. We must not just be welcoming to all people, but we must make steps towards them. What if we could pray about those and talk about those and work towards those together? We must be ready to sacrifice our comfort and our preferences. I'll say that again. We must be ready to sacrifice our comfort and our preferences. It costs the Father and the Son a great price. If we're going to follow in his footsteps, we're going to have to expect that it's going to cost us as well. But it's worth it. Revelation 5, 9 through 14. We're learning to sing a new song. Learning to sing a new song. It can be a difficult song, but it is a beautiful song, and we have the teacher that we need in order to teach to teach it to us. Let's devote ourselves to that. I'm going to pray. Somebody's going to come up and going to play. I'm going to take a few minutes to maybe think about what we've been talking about this morning. Maybe pray. Start taking some of these thoughts about the next steps even in your own heart. And then together as a family, already a family who are from different backgrounds, different persuasions, different experiences that God has brought together into one family, we're going to feast together from his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Father, we ask that you would come and visit us as you are. Yeah, we know that uh, you have ransomed a people from every nation and tribe and language. you've called a people together from the, not only the, the four corners of the earth, but from every background and persuasion that is in our midst, in our community here. And Father, we want to sing this song together. We wanna be a people who are unified and yet diverse, diversified all at the same time brought together by the power of the gospel. We wanna be a shining beacon, a city on a hill that the people around us can look in and see, hey, that's what God is like. That's what the kingdom of God is like now and what is coming fully whenever you return. got I pray you would do whatever work in our hearts and in our midst individually and corporately that is needed in order for us to get there. And it's in your son's name, the one who ransomed his life for us gave himself for us to bring a people from every generation, every language, every tongue, for your glory, for our joy. In this name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church.